Well, to say this is a, a tough time right now would be an understatement. In the past three months, we've lived in the midst of a pandemic that has claimed the lives of over 100,000 people just in this country. We're living in the midst of a, another deadly virus called systemic injustice and racism with the horrific murders of George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, and Breonna Taylor. People of color are begging, yelling for their lives to be valued. We've watched cities burn, people get hurt, businesses looted. We've seen students go without graduations, grandparents go without holding their grandchildren. We've seen people lose jobs and people lose loved ones. We've seen indifference and pain and anger and lies and silence. I'm certain that every single person listening to this worship service this morning today knows some degree of loss, pain, hurt, confusion, fear, sadness. This is a tough time. But here's the thing, the church doesn't get to take a vacation during moments of cultural upheaval. Followers of Jesus don't uh, just get to go silently hunker in during difficult times and wait for things to blow over. The church is, is certainly a refuge, but it is not an escape hatch. We talked last week about the Holy Spirit as divine wind, and that divine wind insists on blowing the church into the midst of the difficulty, into the heart of it. Because if there are things happening that break God's heart, you can bet that God wants to use the church to help be a part of redeeming what is wrong. The church has always existed in the midst of tough times. And that's why over the course of the summer, beginning today, we're going to be looking at a letter written to a church in the midst of a tough time. We're going to be going through Paul's letter to the Romans. Now, Paul was a primary missionary in the early church, a, a Jewish legal expert in the law who formerly persecuted the church. Uh, he had a dramatic encounter with the risen Christ that changed his life forever. And he became a, a faithful and passionate uh, servant of Jesus Christ, planting churches and proclaiming the gospel. In first century Rome, the church was brand new. It was made up of, of Jews who had become followers of the ways of, of, in the way of Jesus, and Gentiles or non-Jews who uh, had come to believe and in, in trust in Jesus as the Messiah, as the Christ. How would that work <laughs> with completely different uh, worldviews and, and customs. And then around the year 49, the Roman emperor expelled all the Jews from Rome, including Jewish Christians, because he said they were rioting at the instigation of Christ. And historians think that most likely refers to often violent debates that happened within the Jewish community over the claims of Christians that Jesus was the Christ. And expelling all Jews, even Jewish Christians, from Rome would have dramatically changed the makeup of the early church in Rome. Gentiles, who once were comprised of the minority of the church, would now be the majority, even when Jews began to return to Rome in 54. 
And surely when Jewish Christians showed up again in now the mostly Gentile church in Rome, tensions and questions would have emerged over uh, who was in charge and how they would live together as a family with different cultural traditions. And then added to the mix was the elephant in the room, the huge elephant in the room, that Christians worshipped Jesus Christ as Lord, not Caesar, not the Roman emperor. In Rome's Pax Romana was maintained by force, strict and primary allegiance to Caesar, to the emperor as Lord and God and the sole authority of truth and justice. So what happens when Jesus' new kingdom clashes with the kingdom of, of Rome? When Jesus is the ultimate authority and not Caesar. State persecution, that's what happens. It was a tough time. And in the midst of all of this, Paul writes his longest letter. He wants to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ for them in their difficult context. uh, And thus preparing them to be uh, kind of a future... Uh, mission-based staging ground for, for future missionary endeavors into Spain. So friends, let's receive it as a letter to a church. It's a letter of, of pastoral care and teaching that, uh, that we need now and that we read as scripture now. Dear church, Paul writes and says, and, and we should listen still because his words might just encourage us, empower us, strengthen us, equip us, save us in such a season as this. Today we begin with this. Dear church, we are unfaithful, but God is faithful. We are unfaithful, but God is faithful. Let us pray. God, open our hearts and minds to your word for us this day. We pray that it would take root there, grow us and transform us, that we might bear fruit for you and your kingdom. This we pray through your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our scripture passage today comes from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 3, verses 9 through 30. Listen for God's word. So what are we saying? Are we better off? Not at all. We have already stated the charge. Both Jews and Greeks are all under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no righteous person, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who looks for God. They all turned away. They have become worthless together. There is no one who shows kindness. There is not even one. Their throat is a grave that has been opened. They are deceitful with their tongues, and the poison of vipers is under their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are quick to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and they do not know the way of peace. There is no fear of God in their view of the world. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law in order to shut every mouth and make it so the whole world has to answer to God. It follows that no human being will be treated as righteous in his presence by doing what the law says because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. God's righteousness through the faithfulness of Christ. But now, God's righteousness has been revealed apart from the law, which is confirmed by the law 
and the prophets. God's righteousness comes through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ for all who have faith in him. There is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of God's glory. But all are treated as righteous freely by his grace because of a ransom that was paid by Christ Jesus. Through his faithfulness, God displayed Jesus as the place of sacrifice where mercy is found by means of his blood. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness in passing over sins that happened before, during the time of God's patient tolerance. He also did this to demonstrate that he is righteous in the present time and to treat the one who has faith in Jesus as righteous. What happens to our bragging? It's thrown out. With which law? With what we have accomplished under the law? No, not at all. But through the law of faith, we consider that a person is treated as righteous by faith, apart from what is accomplished under the law. Or, is God the God of Jews? Isn't God the God of Gentiles also? Yes, God is also the God of Gentiles. Since God is one, then the one who makes the circumcised righteous by faith will also make the one who isn't circumcised righteous through faith. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. I remember a, a singer-songwriter saying one time that Maybe the best thing for followers of Jesus might be to have their sins broadcast on the 6 o'clock news. He said this way, we would stop trying to hide them and to hide from them. And can, you, can you imagine just for a second what that would be like? How cringeworthy, how, how painful that would be to have all the ways that you, were, you have been unfaithful to God aired out for all to see. I mean, that's what sin is. It's unfaithfulness to God. The truth is, we, we actually do have our unfaithfulness shown on the news all the time. Our collective unfaithfulness has been on display over the past several weeks and months. There's no hiding it. There's no hiding from it. We know we've been unfaithful to God when we see that COVID-19 disproportionately affects minority communities. We know we've been unfaithful to God when we see how hard it is for us to adjust to a slower pace with fewer things, reduced access, and more inconveniences. We know we've been unfaithful to God when we see more people of color killed and nothing fundamentally change. We know we've been unfaithful to God when a boy of color was asked what he wanted to be when he grew up and his answer was alive. We know we've been unfaithful to God when fear carries more weight than justice and love. We know we've been unfaithful when we either propagate lies or don't speak the truth loudly enough as Christians. We know we've been unfaithful to God when we see violence and destruction that doesn't look like God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. We know we've been unfaithful when we avoid awkward, painful dinner conversations rather than talk about how black lives matter. And we know we've been unfaithful to God when our gut reaction to what I'm saying right now is to think, I'm ready to move on from this. I'm kind of tired of hearing about this all the time. 
Being faithful to God means being unfailingly loyal to God and putting that loyalty into consistent practice regardless of extenuating circumstances. It means saying, where you go, God, we will go. Who and what you love, God, we will love. What you long for, God, we will long for. What breaks your heart breaks our heart. What do we think breaks God's heart right now? Where do we think God is going right now? Who do you think God loves? What do you think God longs for? If we were faithful friends, we would have honored the things that God honors. We would have worked for the things God works for. We would have loved how God loves, but we have not always been faithful. I was convicted this week when a clergy colleague posted uh, on Facebook the baptismal vows of the United Methodist Church, followed by about 10 question marks after each one as if to say like, Well, do you earnestly repent of your sin and reject the evil powers of this world? Do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? Do you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, put your whole trust in his grace, and promise to serve him as your Lord in union with the church which Christ has opened to people of all ages, nations, and races? Well, we have not been faithful. Paul says that too. It's what he, what he writes in the first part of the scripture passage this morning we read from chapter 3 of Romans. It's almost like unfaithfulness being broadcast, a who's who of unfaithfulness, charges being listed or read in the courtroom. There is no one righteous. In other words, that means there is no one who's been faithful to God. There's no one who understands. There's no one who looks for God. All have turned away. There's no one who shows kindness. People are deceitful with their tongues. Their mouths are full of bitterness and cursing. They are bent on violence and shedding blood. Destruction and misery are their ways. They don't know the way of peace. There's no reverence for God in their view of the world. And those were all things, by the way, in the Jewish law that had people kept or obeyed would have demonstrated faithfulness to God. Now, Paul has already in chapter 2 made a similar kind of laundry list of of unfaithfulness for Gentiles. So in other words, nobody, not you, not Gentile, not you or me, no one has been faithful, says Paul, all humanity. And if that's where it stopped, man, this would be a bleak picture. (laughs) This would be a bleak letter. But it's not where Paul stops Because what Paul writes to the church next is everything, is everything. But now, Paul writes, but now, but now as in even in spite of our unfaithfulness, but now as in something has happened, the court was in session, all were standing guilty, and God had to do something to be faithful to God's own justice in righting wrongs and be faithful to God's promise to God's covenant people to bless them so that they could be a blessing to the world. But now God's righteousness or God's promise-keeping faithfulness has been revealed apart from the law, meaning God's righteousness is shown and comes through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ for all who have faith in him, not just Jewish people under the law. All have sinned, all have been unfaithful, but all are treated as righteous 
or in the right or justified freely by his grace because of Jesus. Through Jesus' faithfulness, Paul writes, God displayed Jesus as the place of sacrifice where mercy and forgiveness is found by means of his blood. In other words, in spite of our unfaithfulness, in spite of the unfaithfulness of the entire human race, and in order to do something about the consequences that unfaithfulness unleashed, Jesus' faithfulness through his, his sacrificial death and resurrection saves us, forgives us, redeems us, makes us in right standing with God. Nothing we do or did, not our striving or us doing our best, Jesus doing his best. Jesus' perfect faithfulness to the saving purposes God had in mind and our trust in that faithfulness. All of a sudden, we who, with our sins on the news, standing in the courtroom guilty with a list of unfaithfulness, receive what we had scarcely hoped for. A pardon, yes, but, but not just that, not just let off the hook, but given, given the status as God's people, as a part of God's forever family. We don't have to wait and wonder who really belongs to God's people to the end of time, those who trust in the good news of Jesus' faithful act on the cross, God declares in the here and the now that they are part of God's forever family. Because of Jesus, God can deal with the consequences of our unfaithfulness, the things we see on our TV screen, the things we see in our own lives, while also being faithful to God's perfect, unbounded, pure, Saving love. Absolutely inc incredible. Incredible. Newsworthy, too. In fact, the best news ever. God is faithful. Morning by morning, God's mercies are new. God's love never, ever fails. We know God is faithful because of Jesus. We know God is faithful when we see glimpses of hope and more people starting to become informed and work for change and justice. We know God is faithful when white Christians do the work themselves to become informed about systemic racism. We know God is faithful when we see people of color somehow still beautifully claiming the same faith that was used to subjugate and oppress them. We know God is faithful when we see pro protesters and police kneeling together in solidarity. We know God is faithful when we see the church figuring out in the midst of a pandemic ways to still keep people connected. We know God is faithful when we see doctors and nurses and scientists working tirelessly to treat and to cure. We know God is faithful when we see parents and friends figuring out ways to celebrate students' accomplishments. We know God is faithful when a young person pulls up a chair in the yard of an elderly person to keep them company. We know God is faithful. Friends, if there, were, if there were ever a time when the right reaction to reading Paul's letter would be to, to kneel down and give thanks to God, it would be here in chapter 3. <laughs> right here. We are unfaithful, but God is faithful. 
And, and after we kneel in thanks, we, we might give, get up knowing how God sees us, knowing who we are and to whom we belong, and find the grace and the strength to be faithful, to try to be faithful even imperfectly. We can try to be faithful because we know that our faithfulness or lack thereof is not the determining factor of our life present or to come. We can try to be faithful knowing that our, unfaith- or that our faithfulness or lack thereof does not make God love us any more or any less. We can try to be faithful in the strength and security of knowing that we are loved unconditionally. We can be faithful to justice. We can be uh, we can be faithful to, to resisting evil and justice and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves. We can say, where you, God, where you go, God, we will go. Who and what you love, God, we will love. What you long for, we will long for. What breaks your heart breaks our hearts too. What you labor for, God, we will labor for. We can try to be faithful in grateful, joyful response to the God who has always and will always be faithful to us. Dear church, we're listening, Paul. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.